welcome. This is the Ag Engineering Podcast, where we talk tools, tips, and techniques to improve the sustainability of your farm. I am your host, Andy Chamberlain from the University of Vermont Extension, and this podcast is supported by Northeast SARE, providing grants and education to advance innovation in sustainable agriculture. We're trying to improve the industry by chatting with farmers and getting their input on tools, tips, or techniques that have changed the way they farm for good. Many of these practices affect multiple areas of the farm. Whether it be environmentally, emotionally, physically, or financially, we share the knowledge to promote sustainable agriculture, lifestyle, and business. Thanks for having a listen. Now, let's get started. Today's episode is a solo episode with me, Andy, from the Ag Engineering Program. We've assembled a lot of information on our blog, and if you're unfamiliar, that's UVM Extension Ag Engineering webpage. We cover a whole lot of stuff for the small-scale vegetable grower, and today I wanted to read you an excerpt from that uh, entitled, Getting Started with a Growth Chamber. It's about time where farmers are starting seeds, so I thought this would be applicable to put out there as you're thinking about how you're going to set up your germination chambers for the spring. This following blog post can be found at a short link entitled go.uvm.edu slash starting seeds. If you type that in, you'll uh, come right to the webpage that I'm reading from, and you can see... uh, all the pictures and examples we have of a few different setups of germination chambers and some diagrams of what I'm about ready to talk about. So I'll recap that on the end, but let's get into it. Getting started with the growth chamber. We've received a number of inquiries about building germination chambers, so we've decided to provide some consolidated resources and guidance. An important first step is to consider what the purpose of the chamber actually is. There is a number of horticultural practices that benefit from dedicated, environmentally controlled spaces. These include germination, starting, propagation slash transplanting, sprouting of tubers and rhizomes, and grafting. These all fall under the category of growth chambers. Here's a couple definitions to clear things up. Germination. Sprouting a plant from a seed, sometimes referred to as popping the seed. This is the very first stage of growth. Generally, this requires warm temperatures and moisture. Light is generally not needed. A simple insulated chamber with heating mats can hold many trays of seeded soil just long enough to pop the seed. Starting. Initial growth of a plant once sprouted from a seed. After popping happens. This follows germination. Generally requiring warm temperatures, moisture, ventilation, and light. Some growers just use a germination chamber to pop the seeds and then immediately move the starts to a greenhouse or high tunnel for initial growth. Others have dedicated growth chambers for this stage. Propagation. Transplanting started plants from one size cell pot to a larger size. Cloning plants from cuttings or sprouting tubers or rhizomes. When starting from seed, this follows germination and starting of plants as the plant grows larger, or it can be the first step in cloning from a cutting. This is typically done in a greenhouse or a section of greenhouse. Though some growers use dedicated chambers, the primary goal of this step is to foster root development in the maturing seedling. 
Propagation generally requires warm temperatures, high moisture, control of light intensity, and controlled ventilation. Grafting. Combining two plant portions to make one whole plant. Example, combining a rootstock with fruitstock, such as with tomatoes. This tends to follow an initial period of growth and possibly transplantation or propagation to gain a large enough plant to work with. Successful healing of the graft cuts requires attention to temperature, humidity, and light. Generally speaking, a warm space with high humidity, but not wet, and relatively low light is preferred. Regardless of what your dream chamber looks like, how you'll use it, or how big it is, there are a number of common features that should be considered. The basics. Chambers are often used only briefly each year in late winter or early spring, so it can be hard to dedicate a lot of floor space or construction attention to them. However, some advanced planning and a little bit of care and assembly can provide a more efficient and durable space for a happy and healthy start. Some growers have found space for germination chambers under greenhouse benches, since light is generally not required. The space is otherwise not utilized, and the location eases movement from starts from germination chamber to the bench. The ergonomics can be challenging, but it can make sense for some. Growth chambers typically make use of multiple shelves to maximize dedicated floor space. It is often attractive to simply pin together some blueboard insulation and long sheetrock screws, but consider something a bit stronger and more durable. You'll be in and out of the chamber, and it is likely to be moved. So at the very least, a 2x4 frame should be considered for structural stability. Some growers have made the use of restaurant wire shelving, which allows for easy attachment of grow lights and can be wrapped in greenhouse poly to keep humidity high and can set up indoors for the starting season. If you plan to locate your growth chamber in an unheated or cool location, you may want to consider insulation. Rigid board insulation is likely the easiest insulation material to work with for this application. It's easy to cut and size and can serve as a wall panel on its own for this light duty application. A single layer of two inch blue board polystyrene, which is an R12, works well for germination chambers that can be housed in a greenhouse or other space with some heating. A double layer of two inch, so four inches total, coming to an R24, provides additional insulation for cooler places. Sealing of both the structure and insulation is important for maintaining both humidity and temperature. Caulking of lumber seams can help prevent air leakage here. Insulation adhesive can be used to join seams between insulation panels or between insulation framing and can be used to bond multiple layers of insulation together. Insulation tape or greenhouse poly repair tape can be used to seal seams as well. Canned spray foam can be used to close up larger holes that are required for routing the wire of thermostats, lighting, and heaters. Heat. Germination generally requires 65 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit, and germination temperature can be very specific to the crop. Higher temperatures are not always better and promotes drying of soil. Heating can be accomplished using heating mats, heating pads, or small space heaters. Some growers have used crock pots filled with vegetable oil as an inexpensive heater. The oil doesn't evaporate, but provides some thermal mass and surface area for the heat transfer to the air. Others have found that an incandescent light bulb works for this purpose, though with advances in lighting efficiency, such as CFLs and LED lights, this is becoming less of an option. Some larger chambers may be best heated with a unit heater 
or by connecting to a hot water source via PEX, baseboard, or hydronic unit heater if readily available. The heater can easily be controlled with the thermostat. Good digital thermostats can be ordered with pre-wired plugs to make easy installation for the electrical novice. Remember that with most digital thermostats, the sensing probe can be located quite a distance from the location being controlled. This means that you can position the display and the control panel where it is convenient for you even if the chamber is tucked into a corner or under a bench. A well-insulated and sealed chamber requires remarkably little heat addition to maintain a reasonable germination temperature. For example, you only need about 75 watts of heat input to keep an R24 chamber of 4 by 6 by 8 feet at 65 degrees when it's 35 degrees outside if it's well sealed. If you're planning on using lights in your chamber, remember that these will add some heat to the space as well. Humidity. Germination requires a high level of humidity in the air and moisture in the soil or mix. Generally, the relative humidity of the air should be 95%. Some growers find that twice daily misting with a spray bottle is sufficient to accomplish this. That schedule also provides a chance to check on the status of the starts. Ventilation is also important to prevent fungal diseases and other tissues that come along with high levels of moisture. This may mean keeping the lights 4 to 6 inches off the top of the plants closer is not always better. Others have found that adding a small crockpot filled with water on a timer works well. Humidistats will not work well at high humidity. The sealing of the chamber will impact how the soil or the mix will be kept moist and how well the air and humidity is maintained at a high level. It's a balance, however, and some growers find that their growth chambers get overly humid. In such a case, a ventilation fan on a timer can be used to exhaust humid air and bring in fresh air. Using clear dome covers on flats held on shelves will stabilize humidity well, but if you're building a dedicated germination chamber, you likely don't need them. Some species and cultivars benefit from light in the germination phase. Almost all starts will benefit from light in the growth stage. If you plan to use lights in your germination chamber, ensure they are suitable for humid and wet locations. Also, note that they will reject some heat into the space and you may want to account for this when considering your heating needs. Light. Light is a basic need for plant growth. And Neil Matson from Cornell University offers a great introduction to the science behind light and plant growth. If you plan to use a growth chamber for anything other than just popping seeds, you'll want to consider some form of light. There has been a tremendous amount of research and development around agricultural lighting in recent years and sometimes really challenging to navigate it all. One of the most notable advances in lighting has been the advancement of LEDs in agriculture. A recent summary of research on LEDs suggests that photosynthetic efficiency, how many photons the plant per unit of power input to the light has increased dramatically. Again, germination generally does not require light, but once the plant has popped from seed, it needs light. Vegetable seedlings generally need 250 to 400 micromoles per meter squared of radiation, and most mature plants need about 450 to 700 micromoles per meter squared of radiation for optimal photosynthesis. Though they are typically transplanted in the field at this point. If you visit the blog, you can view a chart from the Growth Chamber Handbook, which summarizes the temperature, nutrient, and light needs for different plants over their growth period. Photosynthesis only makes effective use of the light in the wavelength range 
between four and seven hundred nanometers, blue to far red. This characteristic of light leads to the color and sometimes referred to as the color temperature with units of K. Light fixtures should be rated by their photosynthetic active radiation, or PAR, or photosynthetic photon flux, PPF, which takes into account both radiation and what wavelength the light is delivered at. However, many are not treated this way. They are treated with lumens, or LUX, which is lumens per meter squared, and light color. There's a handy PDF calculator that'll help convert these ratings. Example 1. A standard 4-foot T8 fluorescent shop light fixture for about $20 is two 32-watt daylight bulbs for $22, provides 5,700 lumens of light at 5,000 Kelvin light color with the fluorescent distribution. PPF calculator, 76.91 micromoles. When used over a two and a half foot square area, this light provides 346 micromoles per meter squared. Example two, a high output four foot LED shop light fixture could be up towards $70, is noted for providing 5,500 lumens of light at 4,000 Kelvin light color with an LED distribution or PPF calculator of 98 micromoles. When used over two and a half square feet, this light provides 426 micromoles per meter squared. Both of these lights would do just fine providing the lighting needed for starts in that two and a half square foot area. There are a lot of units of measurement used in the lighting world. For some help, check out the handy conversion reference and these converters on our website. Putting it all together, if you're interested in reading more ways about how light, temperature, and CO2 all work together to support plant growth, check out an article on Greenhouse Production News from Michigan State's University, Eric Runkel. I'd like to also point out on this website, we've got online plans and examples of showing several different growth chambers, uh, many DIY and cheap approaches, a couple of different ways to add humidity, and a couple ways to set it up both indoors and on greenhouses. All of these references are linked at the bottom of the page. So again, I just want to remind you, if you're looking for all of this information, it can be found at go.uvm.edu slash starting seeds. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you go ahead and subscribe, share this with a friend, or leave us a comment. And if you want more information, check out the show notes on our website at agengpodcast.com. That's A-G-E-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day. The proceeding has been a production of University of Vermont Extension. For more information on Extension, log on to www.uvm.edu slash extension.